You're about to listen to part two of our micro-series on deconstructing Christianity. If you haven't listened to part one, we strongly urge you to go back and give it a listen first. That I'm trying to understand him more on a, on a tangible level. More of a mystical, a less overtly systematic dynamic. God is inviting me and has been inviting me for a long time into the chaos and the void and is inviting me to just surrender to that. That's real faith. Perspective. A particular attitude toward or way of regarding something. A point of view. This week, you're going to hear from the same five voices who spoke up last week, who shared bravely their stories of deconstruction. This week, you're going to hear from Elaine and I, our hearts on deconstruction and what we've been through as well. And you're going to hear the answers to some questions about who God is to them now and how he's changed. This is a great follow-up episode to last week and a great conclusion to our mini-series on deconstructing Christianity. You don't want to miss it, so here it comes. This is The Reckless Pursuit, a podcast crafted and created to dive deep into what it looks like to be a follower of Christ in a modern-day world. We span topics across the board to seek out truth and to gain a deeper understanding of one another, to find common ground and answers to life's hardest questions. We all have a story and a struggle, a calling and a conviction. Together, let's take a hard look at ourselves and effort to view what others see so we can be the best reflection of Christ possible. I'm Cody. And I'm Elaine. Now, let's get reckless. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. This is episode 34 and part two to our micro-series on deconstructing Christianity. This week you're going to be hearing again from Heather, April, Joshua, Sarah, and Jordan. And uh, we had a couple questions we actually asked them, but before we kind of go over that, I just want to give a quick reminder that this is in fact a part two And if you haven't listened to part one, I strongly urge you to do so because you will most certainly be lost if you don't. Part one, we hear all of our guests' stories, and uh, it's just, it's a very intimate time to get to know all of them better, as well as hopefully getting to know ourselves better in the process uh, and what deconstruction looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like, etc. This week, though, we're going over questions, a couple questions in particular, and they are, what made you realize what you thought you believed may not be all there is to believe? And how has God changed now versus who he was to you then? So those are the things we're going over this week. Also, Elaine and I are going to be sharing a little bit about our stories, um, and it's just going to be a good time to get to hopefully understand the feelings we have, the different emotions behind deconstruction and what it looks like whenever our faith changes or we start to question things. As always, please remember that this episode is not about uh, comparison. It's not about trying to bash someone for what they may or may not believe. It's about understanding one another. It's about coming together and realizing that we all have uh, our own separate walk with God and and how we find him looks different for each of us. It's about realizing that there's more to a relationship than just what we hear in church. And 
Also, remember that only 43%, give or take a few, go through deconstruction. The other 57%, maybe this feels like it doesn't apply to you, but I think it'll help you a lot to understand those around you. Because close to half of us have, in fact, reconstructed or deconstructed what we believe. Before we get into hearing from all of our guests again, I just want to give a quick reminder. If you haven't done so, so far, there's a nice little subscribe box somewhere on your page. You can either click it or tap it, depending if you're on a phone, on a computer. But if you would just do that, I would greatly appreciate it. And then if you don't mind, scroll down to the bottom and click on that little box and leave an honest review. We want to hear from you. We want to make this show great. And so your feedback really helps. Also, remember that we have a community where we can keep the conversation going. The link for that's below. You're invited to join. Now let's get right to hearing all of these great answers to these questions. A quick reminder, our first question is what made you realize what you thought you believed may not be all there is to believe? Let's hear from Joshua first. I think when I went on a school trip to Japan for a month, that really opened my mind and forced me to kind of ponder that I might not have had all the answers before. Um, I ended up going on this trip. Uh, we went to Tokyo and we, we spent a lot of time in various areas of Tokyo and other parts of the country of Japan. Um, and as we were there, the predominant religious beliefs were so, uh, different than what I grew up with and what America has kind of been shaped by and seeing those cultural principles at work in that society and seeing, you know, the, the grayness of it, you know, the idea that like, it's not just black and white. It's not just, it's so clear that like everything in Christianity is right and everything that everyone else says is wrong, but seeing a society that broke my kind of ethnocentric world, um, just kind of like forced me to, to come to grips with the idea that there are other ideas and and that really launched in me something different and a desire to explore those things and to evaluate and to not just seek to de- discredit or shoot down all of those other ideas. And so it was really, really cool to be able to have that opportunity, but it also, it was just a lot to process initially. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about ethnocentrism. Um, For those of you who don't know, it's a huge term in anthropology and basically means like your preconceived notions and just realizing that your beliefs and your attitudes and your ideas aren't the only beliefs, attitudes, and ideas out there and that other people have different traditions, different religions, different backgrounds. Um, And so it's kind of just realizing like what you believe isn't the only thing out there. And I really like how Joshua had pointed that out of how whenever he went to Japan and seeing their religion, like his whole worldview changed and how he realized like maybe things aren't black and white. Maybe things aren't just easily accepted as truth across the board. Yeah, I agree. I think it's very interesting that this is actually... The second time someone has mentioned to coming back from a foreign country and realizing 
that there's more to God than they thought there was before. And so I think that was very well said, Elaine, just that whole bit. And uh, I think it's also very interesting about him saying, you know, it's not just black and white. So often in in our circle, in our Christian circles, we we see things just as from what we're taught, just as from the way we read, uh, the way we're taught to read the Word, the, the way we interpret God in our circles is very kind of pigeonholed almost. And uh, I think we, we completely believe that it's absolute truth. And I'm not trying to argue or debate that right now. What I'm saying is, have we ever stopped to ask ourselves, why do we take that as absolute truth? Is that what they're talking about? So many times in churches, we talk about certain scriptures, but we don't even take a moment to see the context in which they're written. We don't take time to understand why we believe what we believe. And I think it's very important to take a moment and look at how others believe even as a good understanding that, you know, it's okay to question and ask to try to figure out. Uh, I also think that it goes back to, and I, I said this in last week's episode in part one, that every religion, every belief has a piece of truth. Uh, it couldn't be a religion without it. And there's something there, something worth looking at to try to apply to our faith as Christians. Next, we're going to hear from Heather. What made me realize that what I thought I believed might not be all there is to believe? Um, I'm not sure I ever thought that I had in my grasp all that there was to believe. Again, as I was a kid growing up, my mom was really instrumental in encouraging all of us kids to question everything. By profession, I'm a scientist, so and my personality is is very much a questioner. So all of these things sort of work together to me being a person that's always pulling things apart. That being said, I never really felt that I was in a place where I thought I knew all there was to believe. I always knew that there were infinite numbers of things that I hadn't discovered or figured out, and I still feel that way. I just got to say that I completely relate to Heather in the fact that I'm a questioner. I ask so many questions. In my mind, I'm always questioning different things, and I can completely understand what it's like to go through that of constantly asking and asking and asking. And sometimes it can feel, and I, I'm not speaking for Heather here, but I know for me it can feel overwhelming with the lack of answers because every question, once you find the answer to one, it unlocks 10 more questions and it never stops. And I think that's actually the beauty of God. I think that's actually uh, summed up well talking like through the book of Revelation of the creatures that are always saying, behold, glory, there's a new aspect of God. They're constantly beholding a new aspect of God. And if you take that literally, you know, I've said before, how can a creature made completely of eyeballs, if it can find something new every moment with every eye, you know, as humans, how can we get caught up on the same mundane aspects of God time in and time out? And that actually touches a little bit on my I guess maybe micro deconstruction story I have. I don't feel like I've completely deconstructed to the extent of 
of many, maybe that's a normal feeling in deconstruction even, but I've definitely had moments in my life recently and in the past where I've had to step back and, and ask, why do I believe what I believe? Why, why do I think God is this and this and this, even though his word might say something a little different, even though I've seen God in other ways, why do I keep going back to this or that? And I think it's very important to ask questions because the moment we stop asking, we stop learning. And to be really honest, life is just too short to not experience the beauty of learning. Life is too short to not allow ourselves the room to grow. And if we just confine our view to just these few little things, then it washes out. It really just takes all the depth, all the color out of uh, the spiritual side of our life. You know, it just kind of makes everything just dull. And we, we lose that freedom, that God-given freedom to experience and to understand. Next, we're going to hear Sarah's answer. I think a big realization for me was the idea that some people who didn't believe in God were better people than people who did believe in God. And that, you know, that didn't really fit with my, with the way that my brain was trained to think about Catholicism especially. But I thought that if you were a Christian and and you loved God, of course you were going to be a better person than somebody that, that didn't. And I just spent so much time around people that didn't believe in God. And it, it, it wasn't even so much that I thought they were better people, but that I looked at their lives and I was like, you're fine. Like, you're doing fine. And I think that's been the the biggest part is looking at people that say that they don't need God and being like, I can't really think of a reason that they do need God. And And if I were a better Christian, that's not what I would say. But I think that's an insanely tough thing for a lot of people who have spent their life as a Christian or or at that point of deconstruction to realize is that there are a lot of people out there who live under like, excuse the analogy here, but like kind of live under a different flag, under a different totem. And, uh, they're good people. There are plenty of good people in the world doing amazing things. And it's really sad whenever you step back and look and you see all these good people doing great things. And then I know, and I'm speaking for everyone here, but I think they wouldn't mind me doing this, that in the process of deconstruction, a lot of times you look at the church and you say, really, what are you doing? You know, we have this whole argument of conservative and liberalism, and one side says, well, the church should be taking care of things more, and the other side, well, the government should take care of things more. Well, the government's only having to do it because the church isn't doing its job. The church should be the ones out there taking care of the people, but a lot of that responsibility is falling back on our government because they're not. And I understand it takes resources. I understand that you can get into a lot of weird arguments there. But the truth is, so many times we see celebrities and inventors and business people out there doing amazing philanthropological work. And so many times we see Christians, and at least in the portrayal or the mental portrayal, a lot of times we think of, or those outside of the church think of, is they see Christians all huddled in their little squares, seeing how big they can build their kingdom and 
shoving Bible verses in people's face instead of showing love. And they see a bunch of angry ants in a little, in a little mound. And it just looks foreign and weird. And, and I think it's so true that it's, it's a hard thing to realize. Like, there are good people out there. And it makes you really question, why do I believe what I believe in that moment? Because if these people are doing good things, and then so many people who claim to be good people aren't, who's really good? I think it's something we all need to sit back and take a second, a second and ask ourselves and make sure we're living up to the standard we claim we are. And in a way, it kind of juxtaposes itself with her saying, you know, how she used to view Christians as you're fine, you're doing fine, like you're okay. But kind of what you just said of like, you know, we have these people who aren't Christians who are doing amazing things. And then we have um, the church in, in like general, like speaking, and they're not doing, you know, some of the philanthropy stuff and the amazing things that we see other people doing. And it's almost as if like, maybe they're not fine. Maybe they're not doing the good thing. Yeah. It kind of feels upside down. Yeah. And it's like the people who are supposed to like the people such as pastors or preachers or teachers, whatever title, um, the church as a whole, if they're not doing their job of loving people, if the people who don't believe in God and don't believe in church and all that stuff, view the people who do believe in God and do believe in church aren't doing their part, it gives a really false sense of who God is for a non-believer. Yeah, and it makes believers really question who God is to them. Mm -hmm. you know. And that just kind of goes back to the whole thing of it's okay to question because just because you've been taught it doesn't mean it's the truth. You know, there's there's other views to this. So I think we're onto something good here. And on that note, let's listen to what April has to say. I think I've always realized that what I believe is not all there is to believe. I think spiritually, when I first started to really realize it was when I first started studying A Course in Miracles and I had miracles happen in my life that were just too overwhelming. At that point, I couldn't go back to believing in a way that would allow me to lose my faith anymore. The synchronicity of the miracles led me to see the connections between quantum physics and spirituality. I started seeing the same thing, whether I was looking at mysticism, psychology, spirituality, quantum physics, Buddhism, Hinduism, and A Course in Miracles teaches that everything is either love or fear, but only love is real. The rest is illusion, it's misperceived, and I'm not saying hallucination. The things of this life will pass away, but the animating force in our bodies is internal energy. Having this mental framework helped me to have a different perspective. The idea of the mystery of Christ, the mystery of God, is a really important idea because God is, essential, is, is basically ineffable. It's beyond words, and words and ideas will always fall short. So one of the big things that kind of stood out to me um, was the fact that how um, she said in God word, words fall apart when we're describing who God is Sometimes it seems like we can't even think of the words to say. We can't fathom to even explain who God is and essentially how we don't understand anything. Like, because it often seems like our questions 
only have more questions and more questions? Do we even understand completely of what we believe in and why we believe it? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I may have to cut out the actual dialogue because there's a lot of static in this specific part. So excuse me if you didn't actually hear her say this, but she had made the comment how um, a lot of times we basically view God as Newtonian in the sense of like there's these laws that we follow, these very specific laws that we follow, a very specific way we view God. But in, in reality, God is quantum and and that's sciency, and I understand, but it speaks to my heart because I, I love science. But uh, in essence, like we view God in one way of like these laws, even though we're supposed to be above the law, et cetera, et cetera, you know, with like New Testament versus old, all that stuff. But we still bind ourselves to these very specific uh, avenues, and we just refuse to explore the rest of who God is. And there's this quantum being infinite amount of who God is outside of just this little bubble we're living in. And I think that actually is a good tie back to what everyone else was saying too. And kind of these, these points we've been hitting is just that there's more to God. There's so much more to God that we can learn and to understand, to, to truly experience. And I just, I think that's beautiful. Before we get into this next question, I want to take just a minute and talk a little bit about our story. Honestly, um, like I said, our deconstruction story isn't necessarily completely deconstruction. Some of it's reconstruction. But I'm going to take just a minute here and talk a little bit about some of the things I've been through and kind of where I'm at. I'm going to let Elaine jump in here as well. Whenever I was a teenager, I would say I had my first deconstruction experience. I'd been going to church most of my life. Um, but my home life was kind of messy with just my mom and, and her alcoholism. And I seen a lot of people in church talk a certain way, you know, just act a certain way. But then I would see them outside of church or I would hear things and I would realize like these people are just putting on a face. And those faces, I tried to get over them. I tried to look past them, but so many times I realized like I was just doing the same thing. We go to this building where we're supposed to be able to be free, be ourselves, be uh, honest and real and authentic and share from our heart. And we're supposed to be able to forgive each other and help each other. But we were just putting on our holy face, pretending like nothing was wrong at all and coasting through our service, worshiping a God that could see right through all of our fakeness. So we probably looked like a bunch of hypocrites trying to be authentic, but so many times we weren't authentic at all. Uh, I remember that I was a guitar player for the church I was at, and I was also in a, a contemporary Christian band, and we kind of went to some churches and played shows and stuff. So um, my father was our sound guy, and I always asked him, I said, you know, why? it seems like I can't hear anything up here on the stage. I don't hear anything like my guitar or anything. Uh, you know, is there, maybe there's a PA problem. And I, would, I was asking him to kind of pay attention because I thought maybe there was something wrong with the PA. And time and time again for about a month, like just no matter what uh, things, I couldn't hear myself. Or I'd hear myself in practice and it seems like I was gone during service. 
And finally, I went to uh, one of the the lead um, board members of the church, and I said, you know, why why is it that like my guitar is always messing up? Do we need to do something with uh, under the stage? What's going on? Like, you know, what can I do? But it just seems like there's always a problem. And, and his comment to me was, well, some people are to be seen, not heard. And I realized then that I was just another face in the facade of this structure. And I was just there to be seen by those youth kids to try to make them happy, try to appease them, to try to keep their butts in the seats. Yet, not surprisingly, so many youth kids end up leaving the church whenever they get to be 18, 19, college age. And honestly... Uh, I was right there with them. I walked away from church. I swore I'd never step foot back in one again to at least on any kind of leadership level. Obviously, that changed because I ended up becoming a pastor. I ended up leading worship for, you know, what, eight years of my life and still doing worship stuff around places, you know. And uh, But in that time, it was really hard. You know, I stepped away from the church. I had got into some other things. I had got into uh, some side with witchcraft, and we're going to talk more about that in the coming episodes uh, around Halloween. But I had walked away from church, and I was really hurt, and I had to try to figure out who God was because I had this identity of God wrapped so much up in these people and this false uh, you know, shell of a face that people were putting on that when the the cracks in the clay mask started to form, I started to realize that what I thought I knew wasn't truth at all. And mind you, I've had more experiences in my adult my adult life, off and on you know, throughout my adult life, where I've constantly had to reform who I thought God was and what I believe about Him, and and I've had to constantly evaluate other people's positions to try to understand people. That's really this whole podcast that Elaine and I started here was just to try to understand and get to know because uh, God is in every single one of us. We're created in his image, and if that's true, then every one of these stories are so vitally important to what it is that he has and what his truth is. My deconstruction story, I kind of use that term loosely because I feel like the stories that we've heard even what you had just shared I feel like I don't really have anything much to say about deconstruction um whenever I was in eighth grade was whenever I started going to church but I was raised in a Christian home and so like we went to church on Easter because that's the churchy Christian thing to do um but other than that I didn't really go to Sunday school didn't do any of that Um, My mom would always come and pray with us and read the Bible to us, me and my siblings. But other than that, I didn't start going to church until eighth grade. And then I was heavily involved with my youth group and loved my church, loved my youth pastor, Mark, who was actually one of our first guests that we had on the show. Of course, everyone has their questions and doubts of God and stuff. We're human. We all have that and share that. For me, I've never really walked away from faith. I've never walked away from God. And really up until recently I haven't really even ever walked away from church because I had you know amazing experiences throughout high school and even um whenever I first started going to college and I joined a campus ministry you were an exception by the way 
because so many people have had so much like drama in church. You're an exception. So I know. Congratulations. I know. That's what that. I'm saying. Like, I feel like I don't have much of a deconstruction story, but, um, you know, I'd never experienced church hurt. I never had like these crazy questions as of like, is God real? Like, or even I hate God and I'm walking away from it. Like I never had those experiences. Um, recently though, I feel like I've had some deconstruction thoughts of church because of some things that I have seen on a personal level in my adulthood and even um, just hearing these stories and, you know, friends and family that we have and stuff of how they've walked away from church, how, you know, they have a lot of church hurt and people hurt and God hurt and all that stuff. And I'm slowly beginning to see patterns and problems within church as a whole in general, you know, because like I said, the church that I came from, I never had problems. I never had drama. I never walked away from it and, you know, never sought out anything else, any other faith or anything like that. Um, But this whole year, I has just completely changed my viewpoint of church in general. And I still believe, um, personally for me, I still believe church and accountability and fellowship is important, but there's a lot of things within church that I don't agree with. And that is completely opposite of what the Bible teaches. And if anything, I'm deconstructing how I view church, but not necessarily God. I I haven't walked away from God. I'm still pursuing God. I feel like I'm closer to God right now in this season of me not going to church and questioning church. Well, and the truth is we have so much of our identity and faith wrapped up in that building. And so I think like so often, and I know for me specifically, my questioning of God came from realizing just the flaws in church. And it wasn't even that the church had flaws. The church is people. I'm a person. I was part of it. It's it's not even just the flaws. It's the fact that we try to put the makeup on the flaws to cover them up. And that just is so counter Christ. That's so anti-Christ, if you think about it. And I know it probably scares some religious folks saying that. Honestly, the church can be very anti-Christ, and that's by masking those flaws instead of embracing them and and showing them and coming together uh, through them. But we just try to hide them. I will say, though, I feel like part of the reason why I don't feel like I have a quote, deconstruction story of walking away from God is because growing up, whether it be my parents or my youth pastor, but I was always taught to question things. I was never taught to just take scripture at face value or just accept something because a preacher told me to. Like, if you're not questioning things, then, you know, there's a problem. You are not exploring your faith. Honestly, I feel like if we're not allowing ourselves to deconstruct you know, and asking questions and allowing ourselves to doubt certain things. We're not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with the Holy Spirit. And I feel like that's where I don't really um, have a deconstruction because a lot of times we hear when people are, walk away from the church, it's because they were taught not to question, not to ask things, not to have doubts. That actually goes back to what Heather was saying last episode about how uh, deconstruction really parallels with dying to yourself daily. It's a constant reformation of your beliefs and a constant reevaluation of who God is. I feel like I have had a privilege because I grew up like 
knowing that it was okay to ask questions and stuff. But I feel like a lot of people don't think that they're allowed to ask questions. Oh, absolutely. You know, I was, this is, uh, this is a little bit off topic, but I was reading this study about how, um, physicians are taught to ask is when before they leave a room, is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, this was actually in one of my meditation books. Uh, the body language though, when reviewing a hundred different physicians going in, they had recorded a hundred different physicians going in for these interviews or to go and, uh, evaluate the patient. Uh, so many, like it was an overwhelming number, over 80% of the physicians when asking that question shook their head no involuntarily just because they didn't really want to deal with any more questions, right? They didn't want to hear anything else that the the patient had to say. And so their body language immediately, you know, shut down that patient from sharing anything else. I think that happens in our faith. That happens in our faith a lot is we put off this whole uh, facade of, can I help you? Can I be there? Can I hear you? Like, what can I do? Uh, you know, can I pray for you? Can I talk you through this? Can I counsel? Can I be of a service to you? But our body language shrugs it off and says, no, we want to ask questions. But so often the body language of uh, Christianity as a whole, the church, et cetera, is uh, sure, you have the freedom to do so, but it's highly frowned upon. So our next question was, how has God changed and who is he to you now versus who he was to you then? Elaine, you want to answer that before we get going into everyone else's? Like, let's just hear, how has God changed to you now versus who he was to you, you know, three, four or five years ago? That's a hard question. <laughs> kind of because of what I had just said that, um, like, I never really walked away from God. But I think even more so now, I have a m more personal relationship with God than I had before. I feel like I talk to God more. I like I have more prayer throughout the day. So more of a relationship. Yeah, more of a relationship, even though I've always felt that I've had a relationship. Um, I never really thought of God as like all these rules and stuff that I had to follow. And so I've always knew that I had a relationship with God. But especially now into my adult life, I feel like I have even more of a relationship than I had previous or that my relationship with God, even this year, has strengthened so much more than even before. Yeah. Uh, Sarah actually has a whole lot to say about uh, her relationship with God, and I think it kind of ties in well with that. Let's take a listen. God is slightly more tangible to me now. I, I don't think that I, I believe anything differently about God. I think that I, 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 I still, I still believe that, I still believe God is loving. I think that he's loving. I think that he, I think that he made the universe and I think that he wants a personal relationship with me. I think it is, it's just taking me to know that I have to realize it for myself instead of talking about how loving God is just because I know it because other other Christians have said it. And so I no, I I don't I, I don't think that my understanding of God has changed, but I do think that I'm trying to understand him more on a on a tangible level. And for a while I was like, yeah, God's just this like prevailing force that created the universe and 
and is in everything and the trees and the wind and all this stuff. And, and, and I think that that's true, but it also made me look at God as something very intangible. Um, and I think thus letting him not be accountable when I don't sense a God in the world. So if I, if I believe that God was this very hard to grasp, very intangible, wispy force, um, then it's fine if I don't feel like he's answering my prayers or, or if there's a civil war in Syria, because that's not really God's thing. But, but, but now I'm, I'm trying to be more, um, honest. I, I hope, I hope it's honesty, um, to understand that God is very tangible and is in me and is working in me and is working in others. So yeah, I, I, I would like to think that my understanding of God has not changed, but has just become more solid. And so in agreement with Sarah, there's almost more of a solid belief system of just like Sarah said, she, her relationship hasn't necessarily changed with God, but it has strengthened and, um, I would almost say like, sometimes it has more to do with the reconstruction than it does have to deal with the deconstruction. Kind of what I had said in the last episode about how there's the three steps, the construction, deconstruction and reconstruction and reconstruction is kind of a mixture of the first two steps. And I feel like reconstruction is like where the beauty is and finding out who God is for yourself and not just believing what other people believe just because they said it and that they have a title and seeking God out for yourself at, in a relationship. So in a sense, God's like less systematic. Yes. Interesting. Joshua actually talks quite a bit about that in his answer. So let's go ahead and hear that. Growing up, I always viewed God as um, a very specifically systematic being that wanted a direct outcome and he wanted to accomplish a specific thing. And I was somehow part of that general idea, but um, essentially I needed to make sure that I was on his side and make sure that I had done all of that I needed to do to align myself with his side so that I could go to heaven and not burn in eternal flames. After going through what I've gone through, um, I would now say that my relationship to God is more of a mystical, a less overtly systematic dynamic. I don't think that I necessarily wake up every morning and think that, yes, for sure he exists, but I also don't, I don't know if I'm ready to throw that possibility out either. I think it's very interesting uh, when when Joshua was talking about just the systematic side of faith and taking that back to just uh, Christianity in general, and especially our Americanized Christianity or our first world version of Christianity, Western Christianity, whatever you want to call it, we uh, we love to take an us versus them approach to Christianity. It's very, and this kind of even ties back in to what Sarah was saying earlier. It's kind of this us versus them, and we're in this corner, and we do all these things to appease the almighty deity. And I, now I understand, like, there's the sides of Christianity that talks about, like, come broken, come this, come that, like, come as you are. But, you know, we don't always practice that. And a lot of times we kind of 
snub our noses up at the world and keep a better than thou approach. And we have this system in place of if I do this and I do this and I do this and I work like this and I work like that, then I appease God. And honestly, like that's just not all there is to it. You know, it's it's, it's not this work based thing. It's 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 more of a flow of our heart. And going back to the whole mysticism thing, it's an experience. It's it's knowing God on a miraculous experience based level of understanding him and him understanding you on an intimate spiritual level outside of just this dogmatic system that we have in place. I think that actually ties well with what Heather has to say. How has God changed and who is he to me now versus who he was to me then? I used to think that God was something or some being out there and was separate from me. Even though I believed that like his Holy Spirit was in me, I didn't really feel that God and I were one thing. And now I feel like God is in all and through all. He's in everything and everything is one. So there's no separateness. I used to think that Jesus was God's first and only incarnation, but now I feel like the creation was the first story of incarnation and that every single living thing is an incarnation of God. So God's been incarnating since the beginning and he continues to do that forever. I also used to think that God was about control and that if I obeyed God, I would have some security and some control. He was the keeper of order, and if I followed him, my life would turn out well. Sort of like a cosmic Santa Claus or some kind of metaphysical insurance policy. I don't see God that way anymore. I feel now that God is inviting me and has been inviting me for a long time into the chaos and the void and is inviting me to just surrender to that. To That's real faith, is just stepping out of control and systems of meaning and stepping into the unknown. I also used to see God as a being, but I don't see him as a being anymore. I probably would have always said that God was indefinable, unknowable, but I think in my earlier life, this was more just lip service. I had to go through some real chaos in life and some things had to really fall apart for me. Things that I couldn't control no matter what I tried, before I really internalized the idea that God is not a being that I can use for control. So now he or she or whatever pronoun you want to use for God is more indefinable than ever before. The closest metaphor I can come up with for God is ground of being or that which holds everything together or the I am. God is more event than concept for me now, more of a verb. I think a major, major key point of what Heather just said is that real faith means stepping out of systems and control. It's an active role in your life and that you're not abiding by all of these rules that people have set for you and all these laws that you have to follow, but real faith is actively pursuing God on a daily basis. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, She had made the comment about how obedience equals security. 
and how so often we kind of use that as an excuse. She actually used the term. This is like the greatest term ever. Like that God's like a cosmic Santa Claus. And I just, that cracks me up so much, but uh, just like sit on that for a second, cosmic Santa. But uh, it's, it's true. Like we view God as like, well, if I do X, Y, and this kind of goes back to what we were just talking about with works. Uh, but, and like, if you just do certain things that certain outcomes will happen, uh, it's, there's no relationship there. It's like, well, if I just do X, Y, and Z, and I just don't make mistakes like this, then I have some kind of sense of security, kind of like going around and like locking your windows and locking your door. Is it really going to keep anyone out? No, they can bust the window. They can get in, they can do whatever. But it's like this false sense of security we have that if I do X, Y, and Z, then I'm just safe and God's got his hand on me and I'm just like in this unique situation where I'm good. And in reality, we need to quit viewing God as a slot machine or as a cosmic Santa Claus and start viewing it as that invitation. As she said, real faith is an invitation to the unknown. We have to start viewing God in the sense of accepting his invite and and uh, enjoying the journey. I could almost use a Doctor Who reference there of like coming down and scooping up a companion and taking them to see wonders. And that's just, to me, that's more God is there's, there's this invitation into the unknown and he's going, of course, he's going to look after you. He's going to see over you in that invite. But the beauty of it is it's not just about do to get. It's about experience. I would just like to point out the fact that you compared God and Doctor Who together. And? Just saying. I know that's like a big um, thing that um, Whovians have put together of that the Doctor is God. We're not talking about that right now. We're done with that. <laughs> Let's hear what Jordan has to say, shall we? Today, through careful study and reconstruction, I believe that Jesus is the truth and the embodiment of the infinite non-physical creator, Yahweh, who is love, just like he claimed to be. I believe that if you throw all else away and search for the truth, you will find him. I encourage you to do so. I think it's interesting how Jordan had said that Jesus is, in fact, the embodiment of God, but that God is beyond embodiment. I think it's important because oftentimes in, in faith and Christianity, I feel like we compartmentalize God as man, or in a way, a lot of ways, we try to humanize God. And he's so much bigger and greater beyond just humanity. And by doing so, we box up uh, we put him in a box and, and we stop ourselves from a, from completely understanding or trying to completely understand who he is. Yes, Jesus was a man and Jesus was God, according to the Christian faith, but that doesn't make God a human. And that shrinks our perspective down and narrows down uh, our possibilities for understanding who he is and experiencing God, really on a deeper level. And I think his last statement about how if you throw everything out and just seek for truth, then you will find it and it's out there. And if we can read the word with an unbiased uh, view, if we can toss out what we think we know, if we can reset then if God's out there, he's going to reveal himself to those who seek truth.
And so, in essence, he's going to prove it because if he's there, he's going to show it. I think we're going to sum it up with me just answering that question. And to me, how God has changed and who he is now versus who he was is that God is just a lot more loving. He's a lot bigger. He's a lot less controversial and he's a whole lot more intimate than who I thought he was and the beauty of deconstruction and reconstruction is that it's a path that you can take to just understand who God is on a deeper level and if you're out there and you've deconstructed reconstructed, are deconstructing, are reconstructing. Just let this be a reminder that you're not alone, that you're not a bad person, and that I applaud you for going out and trying to find the truth and for understanding who God is on a personal level and not just listening to what you've been told and experiencing God vicariously through someone else. Guys, we're in your corner and we're here for you. Reach out to us if you want to talk. If you want to get hooked up with uh, other people who are going through this, uh, we can do that for you. But know you're not alone. And if you haven't gone through any of this, by all means, please, if someone comes to you with questions, don't alienate them. And don't make them feel like they're crazy or out of it. Be understanding, be loving, embrace them. And just show them compassion through their questions. As always, you can find us online at therecklesspursuit.com. You can send us a voicemail, drop us an email, say hi there. You can find our community, the Reckless Community, on Facebook. The link is below. And another quick reminder, we said it at the beginning, we'll say it at the end. If you haven't done so so far, hit that subscribe button. It helps you keep in contact every single time a new episode comes out. It keeps you in the loop. We have an email list. We have a lot of cool stuff in the pipeline. Guys, we want to keep in touch with you, and we want to hear your story. We want to hear your questions. If you have questions you're begging to ask, send them our way. We love you guys. And I'll let Elaine lead this out. As always, be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll talk soon.